You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Friday, January 6th. Welcome to the first segment of This Week in Crypto for 2023. We're kicking off the year with, can you guess? I'm sure you can guess. Sam Bankman-Fried. The former FTX CEO had quite the wild holiday season. His companies filed for bankruptcy in November. He was arrested in the Bahamas in December. Bankman-Fried faces multiple criminal charges, and at least two of his closest colleagues and confidants are providing evidence against him. SBF, as he's commonly known, flew back to New York this week after spending the holidays in California on bail. At that hearing in New York on Tuesday, he pleaded not guilty, as was widely expected, to those charges. Wild times indeed. Here to help me break down the top crypto developments of the week and the year so far is Bloomberg senior editor Philip Lagerkranzer. Everything from when FTX started unraveling in that first week of November, I felt like it went on hyperdrive speed. I feel like I ask you this question every single time, but like, what is going on <laughs> just in general? What is going on in general? Yeah. I mean, we have to talk about SBF, don't we? It's I suppose we do. coming to a head now. Sam Bankman-Fried's trial on those fraud charges in a New York City courtroom are set to begin in October 2nd of 2023. Quite some time. Not unexpectedly, we had the uh, not guilty plea trial set for early October. And as we point out in our story, it is looking like one of the most high profile white collar trials in recent memory. It's exciting. It is exciting, but I'm I'm just wondering about this October 2023 date. It feels both very far away in that we're recording this episode. It's the first week of January. I'm like, what? Who knows what is going to happen between now and October? Like 10 more people could file for bankruptcy. But also, as my colleagues on legal, our colleagues on legal have been reporting, this is moving at a pretty fast clip by the standards of, you know, criminal prosecutions. Have you noticed this sort of tension in crypto where we spent a good chunk of the end of last year hearing people say over and over, oh, 
nobody's ever going to be prosecuted for anything. Investigators are slow rolling. We don't understand why anything is not, why nothing is happening. And then bam, you know, Bankman-Fried gets arrested. Multiple of his colleagues are facing similar charges. Some of them have agreed to cooperate with investigators. And now we're staring down an October date. Just as an editor, like, how do you sort of balance these competing timelines? Everything from when FTX started unraveling in that first week of November, I felt like it went on hyperdrive speed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the the sort of the sense you got working on these stories and watching these developments when it comes to the speed at which the prosecution and the SEC and the CFTC uh, moved <laughs> um, was that A, they felt obviously that there was a lot of evidence here. B, that after the year that we've had and so much going wrong, and as you said, the growing despair or questions about whether or not somebody would end up paying the price for everything, all the billions of dollars lost, hundreds of billions of dollars lost. I don't don't know what the final tally is. You get the sense that there was really a a sense of pressure to, to move quickly and make sure that there was no le- doubt left that, you know, we are taking this extraordinarily seriously and, mm-hmm. you know, this will not stand. And then, yeah, I mean, it, as it comes to the actual trial date, yeah, 10 months out from now almost, or nine, nine, nine and change, I don't know. That is a little bit more outside my, my regular purview. But mm-hmm. um, based on his not guilty plea... Um, it looks like the trial will also take a little bit longer than it otherwise had. Even though we have some legal experts seem to leave room for the fact that he might change course uh, during this process. Mm -hmm. I have felt for the past year and a bit of this asset class and this podcast that it's like running a marathon at sprint pace, which people who run marathons are like, yeah, that's how fast people run marathons. Like they're very, very fast, actually. You're just a normal person and not an Olympic athlete. Um, Yeah. So as a normal person and not an Olympic athlete, it's definitely been fairly brutal just in terms of the perception that things are taking very long, but the reality that actually things are moving quite quickly because even October would still be less than a year from when all of those FTX companies were placed into bankruptcy protection. So that's, you know, that is a pretty accelerated timeline. I want to also just mention one of the, to me, weirder slash more interesting elements of how this trial has been playing out so far. And that has to do with the desire for secrecy. Our colleague Jeremy Hill on the Credits and Distress team has talked a lot about how One of the things that bankruptcy is supposed to do is provide clarity and transparency, including for things like the lists of creditors. And, you know, FTX has taken the position that publishing the names of its, say, top 50 creditors could expose those folks to some kind of of risk. And now Bankman-Fried's lawyers, and again, Bankman-Fried no longer represents or speaks for FTX in any capacity, But Bankman-Fried's own personal lawyers have sought to hide or redact, to use the formal phrase, the names of two people who have to co-sign his very large bond package, right? He was able to be out on bail 
with his parents in California because he has agreed to a $250 million bail package, which does not mean that he personally has to put up $250 million. And, you know, there's we we have some stories on this that we can we link to in the show notes so that folks can find out how that works. But it does mean that as part of it, he's got to find two people who are not his family who will sign on as guarantors, which is that like if for some reason he like tries to hop on a private jet to Dubai, say, then those two people are actually going to be on the hook for a large chunk of that change. And under ordinary circumstances, the names of those two people would be public, but his lawyers want the judge to hide that information from everybody else, saying that they're worried that those folks might also face some kind of threat or potential harm. How does this square with crypto's vaunted transparency? <laughs> there's a lot There's a lot lately that hasn't really squared with transparency. Um, transparency was a byword, a keyword, a, a buzzword for, for a while <laughs> until, you know, the, the, the winds kind of turned, huh? I do think that, I mean, it does look from reading our own coverage, like in the case of... Hislane Maxwell, there, there seems to have been precedent for keeping the identities of people back in bail bonds secret in the sense where you can expect that they would be subject to harassment, to threats or otherwise. And I think that that was the um, argument that SPF lawyer made as well. I don't know mm-hmm. if they referred explicitly to that case, but um, I do know that we have mentioned it in our coverage. And, you know, to be fair, we've seen other fallen crypto figures like the 3AC founders. Um, mm-hmm. We also, the Terra USD, Do Kwon, have made references to their own personal safety and, and threats to it. Um, um, mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a delicate balancing act. Certainly you have an industry that has always billed itself as big on transparency and information for all. And now you're seeing things play out very differently. One of the things that happened this week was a pretty robust statement from various major regulators around the risks that crypto might pose to banks. And we've said on the show a couple of times that Robust regulatory speak sounds like very mild <laughs> to to normal people. It's things like we have concerns, and you're like, "Woo, that's that's huge!" They're practically shouting. Um, but certainly, one of the things that we heard that was practically shouting this week is this idea of you know, 2022 really demonstrated the the risks of crypto, and in 2023, you know, folks are not just going to sit back and watch while other things collapse. And it made me think of what you said about this idea of people wanting to be seen as taking this this very seriously. Because perhaps the most vocal and not unjustified criticism of policymakers last year is they didn't really protect people from being burned by crypto. And it's this statement, which came out from a combination of the U.S. Federal Reserve, the Office of the Control of the Currency, and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp, or FDIC, essentially said, we know, we are watching, and we are going to be paying a lot of attention to this. But it didn't come with any action, right? It just said, we're paying attention, here are our expectations, 
but there isn't necessarily any action attached to this specific thing. Where there was action was, as often happens in New York, where the big financial regulator there, which has not proven to be a fan of crypto in any way, came after Coinbase. And so for me, one of the themes that's already shaping up in 2023 is this idea of what's sometimes called jawboning, which is like a bunch of people saying a bunch of stuff, but not necessarily doing anything, coupled with pretty strident action from state regulators in the US, right? Like this is not the first time that New York has said, you know what, feds, <laughs> y'all are taking too long or you're not, you're not doing the things that we need you to do. We're going to go after this ourselves. Is there any kind of equivalent tension in Europe where you're based, where like either countries or certain individual regulators in certain countries are looking at the relative inaction of the EU and saying, actually, we're going to take this into our own hands? I think the the main discrepancy we've seen here is between the EU appears to be standing fairly firm behind MICA right now, which is the Markets in Crypto Assets Act, which will take effect well a year from now, actually. And so we haven't seen, to the same extent, certain countries' regulators springing ahead. What we do see is the UK, obviously post-Brexit, charting its own path here. And we had, for instance, members of parliament putting some questions to Binance in the aftermath of the FTX fall. But it's not been accentuated, I guess you could call it, as in the States, where... Mm-hmm. New York regulators have, you know, we're making targeted moves like this one with Coinbase. It could still happen during this year in the run-up to MICA taking effect. And that's actually something that I think we'll be paying a lot of attention to. As the the final print gets written on MICA ahead of its launch, you might see regulators, it wouldn't be completely wild for some regulators to um, take matters into their own hands. I guess it all depends on what, what what happens now and what happens with firms that are, for instance, based here. Huh? But the main thing that I've seen so far is the UK kind of trying to chart its own path on crypto. Right. Well, now that they have a government, we'll see how that goes for them. Exactly. We'll be right back with more of the week's top stories with Philip Lagerkrantzer. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. 
That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. There are certainly a lot of folks who are hoping that Bitcoin isn't going to be down another, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent. But at least so far this week in January, we're not seeing a lot of trading volume. We're nowhere near, you know, like the highs of liquidity that we were seeing around this time last year. And that's certainly an indicator that a lot of folks are going to be paying attention to in terms of is sentiment coming back for crypto. And there's this interesting problem, and it's a little bit chicken and eggy here for, you know, folks who are enthusiasts of this asset class, which is because liquidity is so thin, any price declines tend to be fairly dramatic. And so you actually need a lot more people coming back into the market and being willing to trade to, you know, get some momentum back that will mean one, there's more potential for sustained upside and two, you you limit your downside risk a little bit. And we're not seeing that yet. But the other thing is one of the reasons people aren't necessarily coming back into the market is because they spent a lot of time being like, there's nothing interesting to do right now. Like, There's nothing. I can't take any interesting speculative positions. Like, I don't know. I'm not super optimistic about what might happen with, with regulation or you know, there's not enough going on for me to take a position in this. And you're hearing that from institutional investors, certainly who love an arbitrage opportunity, but also retail ones. And so I guess, you know, one thing we're going to be looking at in our coverage is where is their activity? And certainly a theme that we're starting to see is is in what's sometimes known as altcoins, right? Like the Solanas of the world, or in the case of (sighs) the inevitable meme coins, there's something called bonk, which we will talk about on a future episode. Are there any unusual coins, Philip, that you're paying attention to for 2023? You mentioned Solana already. It's up. Um, it's up 35%, I believe, um, this year alone. It's it's by far the biggest gainer. And it was also the one that got the most pummeled by all the top altcoins in December. So in a sense, that's kind of, you can you can assign that to being a bounce back from extreme pessimism and bearishness. But you do mm-hmm. also have other coins like um, Litecoin um, that have done well. And we've, we we are actually seeing now, and it's interesting to see, what, what can we make of this? What can we make of, is it is it just a function of when the market moves up, altcoin moves up, move up more? Or is there more risk willingness creeping back into the markets? And uh, you know, the altcoins would be the first barometer or the first sign that we are seeing more risk appetite creeping back. From that perspective, it's quite interesting to to follow. Um, Solana does, as you say, it is it is a little bit of a special case at this point. But I think if if other altcoins start catching up to Solana's performance um, so far this year, then, um, you know, that that is something to really pay attention to. And as you mentioned, you know, you you don't want to be making too much of price advances in altcoins without the benefit of also having ideally 
volumes picking up. Mm-hmm. For Solana, volumes are definitely picking up a little bit. But I think we'll want to see whether or not that remains in the next few few days, few weeks. Um, and it could be quite an important, interesting at least, maybe storyline. You've given me the opportunity to wheel out one of my favorite journalistic cliches. Too early to tell. Too early to tell. Thank you, Philip. (laughs) Talk to you again soon. Thank you. You can find more of Philip's work on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. Have a great weekend. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.